calling out to all documentary wedding and family photographers. If you have been wondering how to make great money as a documentary photographer, then I, Bobby B, am inviting you to hop on a little discovery call with me so that you can start earning more money doing what you love. On that call, I'll give you a portfolio tip or two that will elevate your brand and you'll be one step closer to your goals, feeling more confident in your skills and inspired about your work. It's just 15 minutes and there's absolutely no obligation whatsoever. Your link to book a call with me is in the show notes and I cannot wait to talk about your documentary photographer journey. Welcome to the Tilt and Shift Photography Podcast, where we take motivational stories far beyond inspiration. We actually analyze and learn to apply insights from photographers and creative stories to improve our own businesses. I'm your host, Bobby Barberich, and I'm digging deep with entrepreneurs and industry leaders to mine their stories for the skills to level up where, when, and how we come to the decisions that define our art, our business, and our success. So let's tilt your life's framework and shift your perspective. Welcome to the show. Hey friend, I have a super special guest here with me today. She is a wedding photographer specializing in Indian weddings. She has been published in Vogue and People, and she is an educator and get this, she is a Nikon ambassador, the first woman of color. If you haven't figured it out already, she breaks barriers and she is a delight to talk with. We talk about pretty much everything today, including taboo topics such as money, politics, and therapy. So if you like deep conversations, that people may have told you not to have in public, listen to this one. Okay. You can't wear lipstick. Why? I can't wear lipstick. I I have been like sensory special since I was a kid. Like this right now, it's a little bit of a challenge because I feel like it's choking me, but you will uh, never catch me in a turtleneck. Um, I never wear lipstick because my lips feel dry. And yeah, they, it feels gross. I agree. It was gross. I hate it. So I always wear chapstick. I always wear Carmex. <laughs> and I recently discovered lip oil. I'm writing this down. Which just feels like it feels good. It's not, it's not, a, it's not a great, it's not gloss. So my hair isn't sticking to it. Yeah. Mm, yeah. That's um, the problem. Not lipstick. So it doesn't feel super drying. And it was $6 off Amazon. So it's like worth it. <laughs> Um, putting my feet up and getting comfortable. <laughs> did you leave your pajama pants on? I did. <laughs> <laughs> They're blue and fuzzy. <laughs> Very cute. It's isn't it like three thirty in the afternoon there? It is three forty. Um, mm-hmm. My, you're gonna hear one of my children come home and the dog freak out about it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just uh, I had therapy today and mm-hmm. it was a long day, and I decided I needed to be in my pajamas. Yeah. How did yeah. therapy go? Can I can I ask? <laughs> yeah, it was good. We're we're doing a lot of a lot of inner child work, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I have I have a lot to go over. We're we're working on um, 
I see myself as a particularly happy person. And if you had asked me like nine months ago, how, what my childhood was like, I'd be like, it was typical, like happy childhood. Yeah. Um, and then he was like, why don't you make a list of memories for me? And, and we were going over kind of, I I was thinking to myself, I spent a week thinking of childhood memories and every single one is like some formative core memory. That's not good. Interesting. So like big disconnect, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, working on that. Was it your, sorry, my dogs are, someone yeah, is here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's how you can tell someone is here, here. Yeah. Uh, no, we thought, I thought we trained him out of that. Yeah, I no. Back. You can't take the bark. I can tell how close they are to the door. On how loud the bark By this is. noise. Yeah. It's very specific. Um, so was it your choice to do inner child work or was it your therapist's suggestion? Um, no, it was my choice. Um, I, I have two therapists, um, my talk therapy slash CBT slash she specializes in a bunch of things. Uh, she, <laughs> I really thought, um, I thought that I had been anxiety and stress free my whole life because mm-hmm. like the night before a test when I was in school or, the night before I got married or the night before I gave birth, even mm-hmm. uh, knowing I was going to give birth the next day I was being induced. Mm-hmm. I was fairly chill. I don't know. I slept mm-hmm. like a baby. And in my mind, if you sleep well and your digestive system is doing great, not anxious. then you're well, not anxious. I'm with you on this. Yeah. Tell me right? more. So, um, so then something happened to me in August, which I haven't talked about publicly. This will be the first time. Um, I got a uh, 24-7 ringing in my ears. Mm-hmm. And that uh, made me anxious. Or I thought yeah. that made me anxious. Yeah. But it would be more accurate to say that it took my existing, already teetering on the edge of something, yeah. anxiety, and just blew it off a cliff. Yeah. And uh, so then I started going to therapy and, and she was like, so I had to fill out like the anxiety scales and, and it showed that I have mild anxiety. And she was mm-hmm. like, bro, like from the second you walked yeah. in the door, I could tell you that it's not mild anxiety. Like you are so anxious that you think that's normal. Yeah. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. uh, so the more I talked to her and the more. I talked to her about like my coping mechanisms and how I've gotten through life and what I think of things and whatever, mm-hmm. the more she's like, mm, yeah. you, that, <laughs> that, you didn't think that was anxiety. And I was like, no, what do you mean? Like, um, I think I just thought if you sleep well and you poop well, yeah. And you meet all your deadlines. Yeah. How can you be anxious? Yeah. Well, why don't, how can you? Why didn't we answer that question? Like what, what was her take on the situation? Why would she say that you were then? Uh, because my anxiety is persistent and internal. Uh-huh. I do not, no one can see my anxiety. I don't mm. let people see my anxiety. I was trained from a very young age to put that away, mm-hmm. uh, which probably makes it even worse. Yeah. Um, and I, and my coping mechanisms actually make me productive. Totally. It's socially acceptable. Yeah. So, you know, I deliver weddings in one night and that was even before. What? Hold on. Yeah. 
you shoot one you shoot a four-day wedding and you deliver it in one night you can have it on sunday probably if they want yeah they have to pay for sunday but you know it's easy for me it's not it's not hurting me no. We'll talk. We'll talk about that in a second. I have to make. Yeah. It <laughs> but, but why am I doing that? Why did I do yeah. that even before? I did that. I, I maybe it was like five days before I had AI in my life because I use Imagine. Yep. Um, I'm an Imagine talent, but that's besides the point. Um, but I Imagine has completely changed my life. But even before that, it was like five days max. Yes. Um. But why, why, what's the motivation, right? Because mm-hmm. most people are like, oh, enough of this wedding. I need a break. Yeah. Well, I'm like, no, if I don't get it done, the files are at risk. And what if my house burns down? And what if my plane crashes? And what if, what if, what if, what if, what if oh. all the what ifs and my anxiety says, if you just get it done now, <gasps> you don't have to worry about the what ifs. You can oh. what if about the other things you want to what if about. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So I'm a catastrophizer big time. I didn't think I was. Yeah. I thought I was like, I think, and I think I am. And I think that I am. And I want to be this like positive, happy person. Mm-hmm. But in my brain, it's chaos. It's chaos it, up there. It's catastrophizing. It's um, someone doesn't pick up the phone. They're dead. Uh, and I don't just do, oh, they're dead. Yeah. I do. And and we're visual people. We're photographers. We see everything, right? Like it's all in here. Um, so I don't just do like, oh, they're dead. I do funeral telling people, uh, where you go through the, like, what next? Okay. Here's what I do. Here's what I do. All the way to, all the way to the end. Yeah. 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 Like if it's my husband, I'm imagining how I'm going to raise these children without him, but not in a theoretical wide way, but mm-hmm. in a, what's it going to look like at their wedding when I am there alone and they don't have their dad. That and I can really do interesting. 30 seconds. Yeah. So your I, brain just goes. Oh. Yeah. And your brain doesn't know what's true and false. Your brain only knows what's important and not important and what you tell it. So all the times in my life that I have catastrophized and lived through the tragedy of something that hasn't happened, my brain thinks it happened and my brain lived it. And so probably my hypervigilance and my anxiety escalates every time I do it. Uh Uh And so when I first started in therapy, she was like, I'm going to need you to put stickies all over your house. And I did this. And this is a great for me. I put stickies all over my house that said, say, is that catastrophic? Mm-hmm. And it helps me catch when I have a catastrophic thought and I say, that's catastrophic thinking. Mm-hmm. And I stop myself from going all the way down the journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what. Helped- what what would happen when you went down the journey though? Like like would would people be able to see on externally? Would they be able to see you doing that, or is this is just is just a a midway in your head? Like it's like a a yeah. I'm I'm like imagining like Ferris wheels and roller coasters uh-huh. and like topsy turvy and like the gravitron and all yes. <laughs> on inside your head. Topsy turvy gravitron on the outside. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, nobody externally would be able to tell. I am known in my family to be the handler. Mm-hmm. I plan the funerals. I handle doctors. I plan 
solutions. I am the handler. And uh, I realized the reason I'm good at that is because I've already lived through all the tragedies. Yeah. My head. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's up here. You know, what's, what's um, frustrating for me. I feel like once you go to therapy, you just want everybody to go to therapy. And yeah, I'm totally like, with you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but what's frustrating for me is uh, there are times where I have vocalized that I do this mm-hmm. and I have had people validate it as normal because it was also normal for them. Yeah. So I didn't know it was called catastrophic thinking. I didn't know that my brain was growing anxiety because of all the terrible traumas I was thinking myself through. And, mm-hmm. and that's to add to the traumas I've lived. The actual right? ones. Yeah. There's actual traumas I've lived. And then on top of that, I'm, I'm not doing what other, you know, when people like fantasize about things, I don't do that. I do the opposite. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. But I would say to somebody like, oh yeah, that this is a thing I do. And, and I didn't have a name for it, but I would describe it. And they'd be like, oh, me too, man. If somebody doesn't pick up the phone, I just assume they're dead. And, and so I thought that was normal. Yeah. And after I like got vocabulary around it and to my therapist, I was talking to my husband and I was like, you don't do this. And he's like, no, never. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was like, is it the lack of imagination? <laughs> <laughs> what is I'm it? the artist in this family. <laughs> yeah. <Maybe. laughs> he's an engineer. He doesn't, he doesn't think like this. Um, but yeah, that's, it's been, it's been an adventure. I'm, I'm very early, I think in my journey, but that whole thing of like, that whole thing of, of her discovering as we spoke that I have been anxious my whole life, that mm-hmm. I've literally might've come out of the womb anxious in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of sent me into, I think I need to do a little inner child work and mm-hmm. heal those parts of me that felt abandoned or out of control or, you know, something has to make you a catastrophic thinker, I think. I right. Agree. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think I really wanted to figure out like, okay, if I was born anxious, but then all these traumas in my life made me more anxious, would it help my anxiety? to Mm. heal those parts of myself. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we are on this journey. And I'm again, in a very early part in this journey, but it really does make sense to me. Like most of like those traumas over my childhood created, I do not have DID, but what I'm about to say will sound like I am trying to say that. And I'm not like DID like dissociative identity. Okay. Yeah. 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 Where you have different personalities. Mm -hmm. I don't have that. Um, very much just one person, but I, I was trained very early to, if I was upset or if I have stuff Mm -hmm. to keep it in. Yeah. Like to not burden other people with it. Yeah. I don't know where that came from, but I know that I've done it for a very long time. Yeah. Uh, very hard for me to let other people take care of me. Like mm-hmm. we were just at a conference um, and I was having a hard day and I was hungry and I hadn't fed myself. And, and one of our mutual friends uh, was like, 
let me get you breakfast. And I'll, cause I was the host of the conference and I had to be somewhere on time. And I was, I was just very like, I was very calm about it. And I was like, no, it's fine. I don't need food. I'll just mm-hmm. get started and I'll eat later. It'll be fine. Mm-hmm. She could tell that this is just a problem. This is not normal. You should eat some food before you get on stage and entertain people or invite mm-hmm. them, whatever. And she's like, let me get you a sandwich. <laughs> I'm not asking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And she did. And it was great. But that for me, I feel like I'm a burden. I feel like I'm a burden all the time. So there's, there's the part of my brain that like holds all that in. And then there's the part of me that's out here, yeah. you know, like trying to be a happy person and trying to be a positive person. And, um, yeah, so I'm working through all of that fun stuff. Would you say that this has been a big shift? We dove right in. Right in. Oh yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I, I feel like you know this about me. I don't know how to have a superficial conversation. Oh God. I Life is too short for yeah. superficiality or for easy questions. Like, no, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not interested either. I, <gasps> I mean, let me not pretend that I could not have a very deep conversation about reality TV. I could. Yeah. But I can't do like, isn't the weather great? Your shirt no. looks good. And yeah. how, how are your, you know, I just, I can't. No, it's like, hey, I just got out of therapy and this is what we talked about. Yeah. yeah. I think the, part of the reasons we don't do that why is because people are uncomfortable sharing. Yeah. Granted. But I think that discomfort comes from being conditioned to think that we shouldn't talk about our problems for whatever reason, like oh. whatever reason that might be like burdening others or like, what do people think of us? Or what if they reject us because I'm too much or like any of those sort of fears. Yeah. And so it makes us stop doing like stop sharing. And then we don't, we don't share the wisdom, you know, like if, yeah. if you don't talk about what's happening for you, yeah. A, how is, how will it ever change? And, and, like part of why I'm going through this, I believe part of why we go through things is so that we can help others go through their thing. Um, there's something else I, someone said to me, like when you heal yourself, you heal the people around you. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's so true. Yeah, absolutely. Like even from, from, you know, the very obvious perspective is like, there are definitely intergenerational traumas and challenges that we mm-hmm. all deal with. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think a lot of our parents' generation, regardless of like my, my parents were immigrants and so they had that layer. But I think that a lot of our parents' generation, maybe they were thinking more about survival. Yeah. Whereas we have this opportunity to be in a healing mm-hmm. time instead of a survival one. Mm-hmm. And what that could mean for our, the next generation. Oh, there's a dog because there's a kid. <laughs> um, but what that, to me, what that means is that maybe I don't have to pass down anything. Not anything. I'm going to pass some things down. You're getting <laughs> some stuff, kids. Yeah. But, but, you know, like maybe if I heal that stuff in myself, yeah. that maybe there's less negativity I pass down to my kids. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they don't have to be in a healing area. Maybe, maybe they can be in the thriving era when they're yeah. that generation. I don't know. That's a really cool way to look at it. 
you know, each generation is a improvement on the, however you measure that is a, yeah. is a change. Ideally it's an improvement from, from pre the Let me say time. hello to this child. Yeah. 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 Hola. <laughs> I missed you too. I know you missed your dog, but I'm in a podcast. So can I talk to you later? Will you get yourself a snack and live your best life until I finish? And you have a dollar? <laughs> Just one? <laughs> what are you going to do with one dollar? <laughs> My child is delightful, but he knows that when I'm busy is the right time to ask me for money. Oh, smart. Yeah. Yeah. Cash. Whip smart. <laughs> He's kind of brilliant <laughs> that way. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think my parents just thought they were going to make our lives better by making money more available. And sh they sure did that. Yeah. Like all three of their kids are financially thriving more than my parents ever could have imagined. Yep. I think that my kids were born on third base and they better do really well financially. But the thing that I hope that will get better for them is that maybe they won't live a lot of the traumas that I lived and they mm -hmm. won't have to I think even if, cause you, you can't not pass stuff on and I'm sure he will have to do some inner child work. Cause you ever watch that show? This is us. Yes. Yeah. I did watch it actually. You remember that one episode where Kevin and his mom are particularly feeling disconnected and like throughout the series, they feel disconnected, but he mm -hmm. specifically is a child in this episode and there's a thunderstorm and he feels like his mom doesn't love him. She loves Randall and she loves the daughter. She yeah. doesn't love him. And in the middle of the night, there's a thunderstorm and, and Randall gets woken up first. He gets in bed and then the daughter gets woken up and she gets in bed. And then Kevin wakes up last um, and he comes into the room and he sees that the bed is full and he won't fit. Mm right he lays down on the floor and he goes to sleep and he feels alone yeah but then rebecca wakes up in the middle of the night the mom and she sees that her child is alone on the floor and she takes a blanket and she lays down on the floor with him and covers them both in the blanket yeah and i probably cried harder at that episode <laughs> than any other because it just is such a reminder that like how you give love may not be how it's received and you can try your best and your experience of the exact same moment won't be the same as the other person's experience of that moment. Mm -hmm. and, and so no matter how hard I work at being a softer landing for my children than I think I potentially had and, and you know, being gentle with them and trying to speak through their emotions and speak love into them until they just like are sick of me. Mm -hmm. I think there are going to be those times where I, you know, I'm, I might've been editing a wedding and they're like, mommy, mommy, mommy. And I'm like, Oh, no, no. You know? And to me, that might've been like a blip of a moment where I just wasn't available in that second and needed to finish something. Mm -hmm. And to them, that might've felt like the deepest rejection because maybe what they had to tell me was very important. So I 100% accept that they may still have scars. Mm -hmm. But what I know is that I am ready to give them those apologies when they do that work, which is not something I think I can expect. Mm. <laughs> and so maybe their inner child work won't be alone. Yeah. Oh my right? God. 
you're gonna make me cry (laughs) (laughs) yeah Uh, totally yeah yeah i think and i hope i hope all of us that are raising kids and feel like we will never get those apologies you know, we'll, we'll be ready to give them though. We'll be, ready to, we'll be ready to show up and be like, you don't have to do inner child work alone. I remember that. I'm sorry. I sucked. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like that wasn't, it doesn't matter that that wasn't my intention. Yeah. I am horribly uh, sad that you're sad and you know, so maybe I'll be able to, instead of, you know, like I'm reparenting myself. Mm-hmm maybe they won't have to do that part. Mm-hmm. That's really beautiful. Yeah. Nice work. <laughs> nice work you're doing, Charmy. Thanks. Thanks. I spent a lot of time thinking about this right now. <laughs> I love it. Well, now it's recorded for forever's posterity and I can send it to you when, when things don't feel that clear. Oh yeah. That'll be good this is the power of conversation, right? And that's, this is what I really wanted to do with this podcast is like give people a space to really talk about the shifts in their lives that have led to a greater understanding or a better business or a more fulfilling life. And, but being able to talk about it and hear yourself say it and hear people respond to you in a really open and empathetic way, I think does so much more than just keeping it inside our brains or even just talking to a therapist about it, right? hundred percent. I literally want to start like, I don't know, ever since this journey started, like, yes, it's great to talk to my therapist. And I think she was a little concerned that as soon as I felt better, I'd like abandon ship. And mm-hmm. I actually doubled down and was like, I'm feeling better. Should we see each other twice a week? <gasps> and she was like, what? You're leaning into the work? I'm like, yes, <laughs> if this is working, like, let's do more. Yeah. I want to be talking to my friends about this. I a hundred percent know that I'm not alone in any of this, mm-hmm. but I have dealt with it alone in my brain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that's a big shift for you? Huge. Like, is this, this is like, seems like it would be something that is utterly like foundation, like picking it up, putting it, coincidentally, you're building a- I'm building a house. <laughs> But do you see this coming out in, in your work, like in your business, in the choices that you're making for your own success and your family? Like, how is, how is it? I have always preached to run away from red flags in my business. Mm -hmm. And then I have always not done it. (laughs) Let's talk about that. (laughs) Because I am so, so easily my ego Mm. this is definitely my ego Mm -hmm. when somebody says i can't have anybody else but you Mm. i am not just saying yes for them right i'm saying yes for me because they can't have anyone else but me who's gonna do as good a job as me (sighs) and and i think everyone thinks that they're doing it just because they're they're doing it for the client yeah they like me they like me and mm. doing it for the validate that validation that they like you. It is so much easier these days to say no. Mm-hmm. Oh, so what happened? Like what, what made it easier to say no? I have to go get a tissue and then I'll be back and tell okay. you. <laughs> I don't, I don't think this is going to be a snot free conversation. Okay. So, 
I think the biggest thing, I think where it started, like ther- therapy might've pushed me over the edge, but I actually think where it started was COVID. Okay. Right. Like all of a sudden during COVID, I was like, oh my God, I have no job. I have no money. What am I going to do? And I had savings. So I, I knew my savings could carry me. Um, I fired myself and my husband's salary could pay the basics in the house. And uh, it's not like we were going on vacations or buying extra things. Like, what was I buying clothing for? Nothing. I wasn't leaving my house. It was in my gym. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I knew financially it wasn't a big problem. Um, and I did the best I could to manage that. But suddenly I had a year of weekends Mm. and I spent those weekends with my kids. Uh, I spent those socially distant with my cousins. Mm -hmm. We had barbecues where we all tested and then didn't leave the house for two weeks, like not even the grocery store. And then we could all see each other and like, but we made that happen. And, um, And I have missed over the 16 years of my business, I have missed weddings. I have missed birthdays. Mm -hmm. I've missed barbecues. I've missed kids' birthdays. I've missed so much. And a year of like not missing things and suddenly really feeling tangibly what I was missing out on. uh, It started the journey of, I can't do this anymore. Like I can't can't do 30 weddings a year. That's 30 weekends of my life. I, I'm not the one that experience hundred percent changed things. And then when all of this happened with, uh, realizing that my anxiety was so through the roof that like I couldn't form proper sentences, all of this has made it easier to choose me. And I think like the real me and not just the ego me because accepting the wedding is ego. So I have rules now and the rules are like, I don't work on anybody's birthday. Not my husband's, not mine, not the kids, not my mother's, not my dad's, not my sister's. I don't work on, I don't work on anybody's birthday anymore. I don't work in July and August um, because that's when my kids are home. If you are booking me for labor day or uh, Memorial day, it's going to be like 30,000 plus is my minimum. Mm-hmm. So it's going to have to be really worth it for me to get out the door. Mm-hmm. Um, I did recently just accept a wedding that ends on my husband's birthday. Like I would fly home on his birthday, but mm-hmm. it was 30,000. And so he's just going to join me instead. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. um, boundaries, like what I'm willing to do and what I'm not willing to do versus like, oh, well, let's judge it on a case by case basis. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has been so much easier now to just say to people, I'm so sorry, I don't work in July. In July, I'm with my kids. So um, COVID gave you a glimpse of what it could be like. Yeah. And then okay. you had this additional sort of this mental health awakening. Yeah. And you created these boundaries. Yeah. I also let anxiety make a lot of my decisions. Like, how do you turn down money? Like, it seems like champagne problems mm-hmm. as I do get a high dollar for my weddings. Mm-hmm. But when you remember not having money, that part of you is always like, who are you to turn down money? Yeah. Like, 
what what right do you have to turn down money so there's the yeah, ego I think that's the crux money. for everybody like and people who are just starting people who aren't at that stage yet where yeah. how do you how okay. dare you so we do the math now in this house yes we do the math of like how much money is necessary how much money is desired and how much money is enough mm. so like necessary is like how much money do we need to float this life that we're living at a minimum mm -hmm. enough is the life we want to live with vacations and buying the kids clothes that are a little kids are getting fancier the older they get they have demands mm -hmm. um you know living living the life we want to live mm -hmm. and how much is enough like at what 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 is the number at which we just stop mm -hmm. um because I think when you're making money, if, especially if you're like very budget conscious and you've been like saving or whatever, I think, um, sometimes there's no such thing as enough, mm -hmm. really hard to say no, because, because yeah. you have these battling parts of yourself. You're like, Oh, but, but what if I never book another wedding again? Totally. The yeah. catastrophic thinking. Catastrophic thinking. And I think all of us have done that, right? We book a wedding and you're like, that's the last time that'll ever happen. Like I, that definitely goes through my head pretty much every time I sign a contract. Yeah. So. It's not true, by the way, listener. It's not true. <laughs> <laughs> Very much not true. Um, I raised my prices pretty much exponentially and still managed to book weddings. And do I still think like, man, no one, it seems like no one's ever going to book me again. Uh, yeah, that thought goes through my mind, but now I limit myself to 10 weddings a year. That's another boundary. Mm -hmm. Somehow this year I have 10, I have my new prices and I have some for next year at my new prices and you know, it's going to be okay. And what's the worst that could happen is a thing I think about now, but I try to make it more realistic than my catastrophic thinking version of what's the worst that could happen. And I've always said this before, um, we live well below our means or we used to until we got an apartment in New York and are building a new house. So it's gonna be a rough year, but that's okay. <laughs> it's a desired uh, year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is our, um, we're going on an adventure <laughs> and for it, so it's okay. Um, a realistic, what's the worst that could happen? I've always said I have no, you know, my dad came here from India, a doctor, but he had to redo a lot of his training to mm -hmm. practice here. And when I was a baby, he used to sell candy in the subway for $5 an hour. Mm -hmm. And the seven, the subway in the late seventies, early eighties in New York city is not even what it is now. Like mm -hmm. it was mm -hmm. horrible. And he was a Brown man. Gotham. Yeah, it was Gotham. <laughs> It was Gotham and my dad was the wrong color. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so I've always felt that I don't have any pride about making money. And yeah. so in my mind, it's like, whatever, worst comes to worst, I'll go be a barista at Starbucks. You'll be fine. They have great health care. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, so it, that, that like, that, talking myself through like worst comes to worst, I'll go be a barista allows me now to say, yeah. no, I know your wedding is great and your venue is great, but it's in August and I want to be with my kids. Yeah. Yeah. 
They can come. Yeah, because the worst that could happen is that you don't spend enough time with your kids. Yeah, that's the real worst that could happen. And you know what I did, which I don't recommend it, but it did work. <laughs> <laughs> so during COVID, I did the math on how many summers I have left with my yeah. kids. Yeah, you only get 18, right? I only get 18. Mm -hmm. And one of my kids is 13. Oh, well, I got a little shiver when you said that. Yeah, I got five summers left with one of them and seven summers left with the other one. And uh, I'm not giving that up for the glory of being someone's wedding photographer. Oh, no, no. Yeah, it's not how nice work, Charmy. Uh, do, do you want to talk a little bit about the shift that it took? Like, what has it been a gradual increase and like understanding of your value and your worth and what your boundaries are? Or has there been, it's like particularly in terms of how you're approaching weddings. Like, when did you get to the point where you're like, no, I need five figures. No, I need multiple five figures. Like, tell, tell me about that. Tell us about that. Um, I probably don't do this the right way. <laughs> I am going to show you bride. She convinced me to do her wedding, even though I didn't want to do it. Cause I was like, no, I can't shoot a wedding. And she was like, yes, you can. Uh, she was right. I give her credit for everything. I love it when other people can see in us what well, we, we don't know was there. Yeah. You know, I often think that like how others perceive us is possibly more true than, than the inner dialogue that, that we struggle with. Right. And maybe that's like the what we're really striving for is to see ourselves the way people that love us actually see us. Oh. I would love to see myself that way. Yeah. I have, I have a problem with self-compassion. So you're really speaking to me right now. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's a thing I'm working on. It, it feels all at once. Like it was yesterday. Uh-huh. And like, it was another life. Everything everywhere all at once. Yeah. Uh, that was the first wedding I ever shot and I shot it for $3,400 and that included eight hours of shooting an album for her, two albums for the parents, oh. um, some prints. I don't know. It included a lot, but yeah. 3,400 feels like not so bad for your first wedding. It sure doesn't. Yeah. Um, I think like my base, my eight hours was $2,000 and then everything else that was added on brought it to 1400. Yeah. Three albums were 1400, I guess. So it's a little, little different. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so well, now, how did you, how did you start? Sorry, I cut you off. Go finish. Your no, no, tell me. How did you do that? <laughs> Go from that to what I charge now. Well, I mean, we have to sort of, I mean, you have to look at incre incrementally, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Let's start with what I charge now. Sure. And we're so back. Yeah. So, uh, I, for a day, my day rate is 12,500. Mm -hmm. Nothing included. Nothing. That's just you showing up. That's mm -hmm. you putting on pants. I put on pants. How much it costs for me to put on my pantsuit. And charge my batteries. <laughs> Probably. I want to <laughs> clean my lens for this. <laughs> um, yes. For me to put on pants. And by the way, I wear joggers. I do not wear nice pants. <laughs> Two weddings. They're, they're $90 joggers. They're nice pants. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I need to be nimble. So leave me alone. I'm not wearing a suit. Same um, or bike shorts. Yeah. I need to work. Mm -hmm. I'm sweating over here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Luckily I have great couples. I've shot weddings in Aruba where my bride is like, you can come in your bikini. I don't care. Do whatever mm-hmm. you want. Mm-hmm. Um, but sand, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> like, um, so I would say in the beginning, I just priced myself like any basic beginner Craigslisty pricing. Mm-hmm. 2000 for eight hours. And then over time was $150 an hour. Now I charge a thousand an hour. Mind blowing, right? To think about like, were you like, I was so nervous and shaky being like, this is $150 an hour. Oh my God. The first time someone wrote me a check for $300, I was like, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Giving me $300 for this? That's where it started. I would say, my degree is in economics. I have two degrees. One's in IT and one's in economics. Oh. And um, and so while the internet is full of photographers who are like, you have to raise your prices because cost of living and you have to raise your prices so that you're on with your market and you have to... Um, a, lot of, a lot of advice around like your pricing being almost this externally driven mm-hmm. thing. I have always been very, my pricing is based solely on the supply and demand for me. Mm-hmm. I don't really care what other people are charging. Yes. Um, say that, say that one more time. I don't care what other people are charging. Thank like you. It does not affect me one bit. If somebody charges half what I charge, good for them. Mm-hmm. That's great. Like, I don't think they're undercutting me mm-hmm. by all means. if that's what you want to call it because and in what we do you and I are not the same I'm not the same as anyone I live near I'm not the same as people who charge less than me I'm not the same as people who charge more than me I'm not the same as people who charge the same thing I do Mm -hmm. nobody is buying apples to apples in artistry it's impossible So I am priced solely for me. And so the approach I took early on is like, if if I was booking too much, my prices had to go up. Mm -hmm. And so if I booked a whole, like if I had five inquiries and I booked all five, then I'm too cheap and I would raise my prices. And uh, you have a kind of like rate that you would like, was it like 20% or? It was like 500 bucks. I would just. No, I mean like in terms of your your booking rate, like if. Oh, no gut feeling. <laughs> yeah. I'm a gut feeling girl. <laughs> Definitely based on my gut feeling of like, this is, this is going fast. So it must be too low. Yeah. Um, still feel that way now. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're all 10 booked. Yeah. They're all booked. Um, and then I would say right around the time I got to 7,500, for my day rate. So I have a, now I move, that's a lie. There was one more transition. So I used to do hourly, like eight hours plus overtime. And then I started really shooting Indian weddings heavily. And that's really not a good strategy for Indian weddings because Indian weddings are way longer than eight hours. And then people are like, what do you mean? I'm paying you for the break. Well, it's not like I can go home and play with my kids. You're paying me for the break. Cause I'm stuck here. Yeah. Like, um, but having that conversation wasn't, you know, a frustrating thing. And so I moved to a tailored day rate, mm-hmm. meaning I'm there for the day. 
but it's not unlimited. Tailored means I tailor it. I decide when I come, I decide when I go. And that has worked out really, really well for probably over 12 years at this point. Oh, that is beautiful. Yeah. Um, Like I don't stay till midnight. You will, God, I love Lanny and Erica, but the fact that they can stay up till midnight, I'm dead by then. So I'm a midnight or two. I like the midnight ones. See, that's perfect for all of you. Mm -hmm. I will be there for 15 to 20 minutes of your dancing. And I'm out. I'm out. (laughs) I'm like just getting warmed up. Right. But for me, I've been up since 5 a.m. And all y'all are just going to get drunker and sweatier. And everybody is a doctor, a lawyer, a judge, senator, or something. And they don't want to be exposed on the internet for all the fun they're having. So why don't I leave? Yeah. Yeah. Know your market. Yeah. So for me, instead of getting emails later from random guests who are like, can you please take that photo out of their gallery? And me mm-hmm. having to say, I really can't. They own those photos. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would rather just not take those photos. Yeah. Nice. Um, so, so you have a tailored day rate. Tailored day rate. And that tailored day rate started at 5,500. And mm-hmm. when I did that, it was actually, I like added up all my hourly and then rounded up. Yeah. And I found myself having less conversations with people about money because it was just one number. And like, you either like the number, you don't like the number, but we're not doing math. I feel like when people have to do math, they got too many questions. Yeah. And I don't have any answers other than (laughs) other than when I'm going home. Are you, did you include any, do you include anything with your day rate? No. Just you show, just you and out of those pajamas. Um, and then when I went to a day rate, when I went to a tailored day rate, I went full a la carte, pick what you want. You want shoot and burn for 5,500. You can have it. And then mm-hmm. I just don't have to do anything. It's fine. And then I went up and I went up and I went up and somewhere around 7,500, something happened. And I don't remember what it was, but I started doing something less smart than, um, then like I'm booking too fast. So let me raise my prices. Mm -hmm. I like to call it rage pricing. Oh, so somebody, somebody would annoy me so much Uh that I would be like, you know what? Yeah. I don't want to leave my house for less than 10. Yep. That's my new price. And then if somebody booked it, I'd be like, see that that's my new price. One person booked it. So it's permanent. It's not a scientific theory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not based in supply and demand. No, but here's the thing. Art is not based in supply and demand. Yeah. And when we confirm that number, yeah. the number that we were, would not let us think about previously, yeah. when yeah. we confirm that number, it becomes a reality. Oh, hundred percent. Because every time supply and demand said that that number was still too low. Mm-hmm. Yeah, time. exactly. Yeah. You're booking. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, maybe rage is not the best way to like be guided, but it did work. So, so I'm sticking to it. Um, but essentially every time I was like too frustrated and I was like, Oh, I can't do this. Um, and that would be motivation to go do it again. Yeah. I can do it for that much money. I can do it again. You know, (laughs) I can also buy some really nice pajamas. Yeah. Yeah. Got a lot of matching pajamas now. Um, <laughs> but 
that is essentially how I got from 7,500 to 12,500. Mm-hmm. And then I started, um, you know, before I set all the boundaries, the first boundary that I set was uh, holiday weekends. Like if you want American Labor Day and American Memorial Day, if you want me to work those and keep losing these like three-day weekends where my family is in a pool and having fun and barbecuing without me, if you want me to miss that, then I have to bring home at least in, you know, 20. Cause yeah. I want to take my kids on vacation then. Yeah. You know, and uh, maybe that's a little rage as well, but it worked and people pay the minimum. And yeah. then I don't have to feel, you know, photography is really personal. And if you feel negative about being at a wedding, then yeah. like, I almost think you can see it. It doesn't work. You can see it in your photo. I can certainly feel it. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, so I have to love you. Yeah. I mean, I have to love you or I have to be thrilled about the money. Thrilled. Either way, I love you for it. Yeah. (laughs) But here's the big question, Charmy, is you said I began pricing solely for me. Yeah. So how did that happen? Because that's, there are very few people that that have the wherewithal to know that. They have to, we often have to learn it. Or like we have to go through therapy for a really long time. (laughs) (laughs) But the rage, the rage pricing is really it. Like I had challenging clients that were not the right fit and they were saying yes to numbers. Uh, And maybe like for me, it was like, maybe if I raise my prices, they will just skip over me. Like, Mm -hmm. I, it definitely has the higher I price, the more I do get clients that are right for me. Mm. Not only that, but like when I say price for me, I also, I mean, I think you might know this about me. I'm very vocal and open about everything I believe in life. Um, politics, race, gender, doesn't matter. LGBTQ issues. I couldn't be quiet about the things I believe because I, I feel very righteous about them. I feel very strongly about protecting other people. And I, um, I feel, I, I, I posted this, this is someone else's saying, not mine, but it's something I feel strongly about that. If you are a true ally and someone is having stones thrown at them and you're not getting hit by any, then you're not close enough. Mm. And so I feel really strongly about this. And so, um, my entire belief system is available on Instagram and Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> and that helps me weed out clients, but then the price between between putting myself out there and knowing that people are partially buying my photography, but they are also buying my company. And that's just the reality of my business is that people are buying my work, but I have literally had brides be like fangirly and not because they just love my work, but because they like, like what I talk about and they mm-hmm. want friends and that's the right client for me. That's the right client. The right client for me is the person who agrees with me when I say, I want to protect all these people and like believes what I believe about what the world should look like and is willing to pay what I think I am worth. Yeah, that's important. This is the quote for the episode. <laughs> <laughs> but oh, it's, 
Yeah, it's that attract and repel. And did you did you previously kind of like tiptoe around sharing your beliefs or have you always been unabashed? Because oh, a yeah. lot of people have a lot of issues with yeah. sharing their personal beliefs in their company, but your 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 company is you, your art is you. Yes. If you're hiding your values or um not sharing what your people are feeling yeah that that that's a reflection of you like everything is a reflection of you so why don't you put out the the real reflection like the yeah the silence is also a reflection of you yeah like i um i think you might know that i'm a big taylor swift fan i know it (laughs) so i watched uh miss americana with my husband recently it's her documentary uh it's a documentary it's not like she has like concerts that are recorded and put out on Netflix, but Miss Americana is in a documentary about her mm-hmm. and she's having a conversation with her manager, I guess her dad and other people. Her mom is very supportive, but she's talking about how she's going to come out and talk about um, Marsha Blackburn is the, the Senator for Tennessee, mm-hmm. uh, a Senator for Tennessee, one of two. And um, that Taylor is basically against everything she believes Mm-hmm. And that Taylor is a Tennessee Christian and Martha purports herself as a Tennessee Christian and that she can't be quiet anymore. And you hear these three men kind of arguing with her. One of them keeps saying, I need to explain to you. I need to explain to you. Then I was getting really frustrated listening to him to say, like, you don't understand. Let me explain. Yeah, uh, She's very clearly a very intelligent person who's making a, a calculated decision to let go of anybody who may not agree with her. Mm-hmm. And somebody across from her says, you know, you're just going to write off half of your fans. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of course, in hindsight, that is an insane thing to say because, A, if you have $100 million and you have 50 instead, you're probably going to be fine. <laughs> you're going to be all right, Taylor. Okay. Um, <laughs> So not, no, not super concerned. Luckily, she also was not super concerned. Um, But also it really makes this big assumption that the things we care about and the way that we talk about the things we care about are this 50-50 political split. Mm. And I do not believe they are. Do I believe that voting in America or voting in Canada is, is a split thing and probably somewhat down the middle in a voting sense? Sure. Mm-hmm. And if people see me tell them who to vote for and they don't like it and they want to follow, that's fine. But I genuinely believe that the way that I talk about the things I talk about, that most people on a human level probably agree. Yeah. I love what you're saying. I don't think that, uh, I think a lot of people, uh, my dad, my dad is the most generous person I've ever met in my life. Like he would literally, if you went to his house, by the way, you could probably move into his house this week if you wanted, because <laughs> my dad, you don't have to know. He doesn't have to know the people who need help yeah. to provide them shelter. Like there are people he has never met, but somebody will be like, oh, they're coming to America and they need a place to stay. And my dad's like, oh, they can stay at my house, obviously. Mm-hmm. And it'll just be like a friend of a friend of a friend. Mm-hmm. And, and he has let them stay for months and won't let them pay for groceries, right? So you would imagine this type of a man who delivers babies. He was an OBGYN his career, in his career. He's retired now, but 
delivers babies. He's very empathetic with women and, and has two daughters that he raised to be, you know, this (laughs) and and would, uh, and would give you the shirt off his back. You would imagine that he is a liberal. He's not. He has voted Republican his entire life until Trump's second election. And to me, that just makes clear that, you know, lots of people aren't necessarily tuned in to politics as a, as a situation when they're talking about the issues and the things they believe in. When I talk about when, and I, this would happen with my dad, where I would say, dad, if a gay couple is not allowed to get married, but they've been together for 50 years. And then one of them falls down the stairs and breaks his hip and has to go to the hospital. Do you think it's right that his biological family, his siblings, his parents keep his partner of 50 years away from him because they're not married and he has no rights to go into the hospital. Do you think that's right? Mm -hmm. And my dad easily would be like, absolutely not. That's crazy. Like whoever, whoever you love should be allowed to visit you and whoever you don't want there should be. And when I pointed out to him that the legality of marriage and that contracts don't always matter that much and that that was changing people's access, he's a hundred percent on board. Can Mm -hmm. I convince him that that's important enough to vote on versus his taxes? Maybe not, but Mm -hmm. When I talk about issues, I have to believe that more people agree with grace and kindness and taking care of people than don't. Yes. Yeah. We are so much more nuanced than our our political choices. Yeah. And I only need 10 couples, so it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So that brings up an interesting question. Do you think pricing like that or like um, being able to be... I don't want to say activism or anything like that, like sharing your values. Yeah. Yeah. Is that a luxury? I think it's a feature. I think that it attracts the right people to me. I think it makes people passionate about my existence. Mm -hmm. I think, uh, I mean, perhaps we could say that it depends on where you live, that I can, I can be open to that discussion. But I also think that it doesn't just sort out the people I don't want. I think it genuinely brings people to my door. Absolutely. Yeah. And so it's not, it's not so much a luxury, I think, as it is mandatory, Mm -hmm. the kind of business I want to run and mm-hmm. the people I want to work with. And if I want to keep raising my prices and, you know, like we can have a deeper discussion about like the facts of where most of the money in the country, in this country is. And it's with people who think a little bit like me. Yeah. So, so even from a pragmatic stance, like I think whatever you believe though, let's say you go the opposite way of me. Mm-hmm. There's people out there who can feel passionate about you believing what they believe. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think it's a luxury. I almost think it's the way that I run my business. It's mandatory. Mm-hmm. 
Because I'm not just selling my work. I'm selling my company. Yeah. My company, like hanging out with me, not my company, not my business. Yeah. But like hanging out with me, Mm -hmm. you know, being, I I tell my clients, like you want to be around somebody all day on your wedding day that you feel really safe and comfortable around because we're with you more than your family and your husband and wife. And like, it's us, we're the ones. And when you look at these pictures, you're going to think about me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's so critical. And you want to have a warm feeling about that, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and so it's, it's not just my work they're buying. My work is a part of it. Mm -hmm. And who I am is the other big part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Why do you think that, or do you agree? People who are charging lower prices waver on this. And I, I was sure that they would, because that's my lots of my I have strong dirty clients are like this. They're like, well, no, I can't like I can't rock the boat. I can't, I can't be that personal. I can't, you know, because they think that it will impact how much money they can bring in. Mate, I have a strong dirty feelings about this. Are you ready? Yes. I don't know if I'm gonna get in trouble. Um I think that okay, without being too specific, mm-hmm. I think that the people who have money in the world would love for the rest of us to believe that we really aren't supposed to talk about money, religion, and politics. Uh-huh. Because if we talked about money, religion, and politics, then they couldn't use those things to keep us where we are. Yeah. And there you go. <laughs> it's the nice. same thing with therapy. It's like, like telling us that we can't talk about this shit. Is, yeah. It, it, it keeps us, it That's keeps us down. Yeah, yeah. It totally controls us. Yes. Um, yeah. I think that the worst thing that ever happened was the elite moneymakers convincing us that like sure politics, and religion are not uh polite mm-hmm. conversation. Mm-hmm. What do you mean? They're not polite. And that has allowed a variety of religions to do terrible things and us to not talk about it. Mm-hmm. It allows politicians to do terrible things and for us to not talk about it because we can't talk about it. So we can't educate other people. Mm -hmm. We can't be educated ourselves because we can't talk about it. Mm -hmm. We can't change how we feel. We can't grow in our thoughts because we can't talk about it. Mm -hmm. You know this. We talked about it at the beginning. I don't know how to have a surface conversation. Mm -hmm. I can only have deep conversations. And I have spent, like my dad has been the biggest source of my political arguing and probably the biggest source of my political growth to the left. (laughs) (laughs) Because he, and I I almost think that's by design. Like I know what he believes, but I also think he's like kind of proud of himself for making me like dig so that I can argue with him. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, but those conversations with him and even with people I agree with, because you'll find that people you agree with, you don't agree with. Like, you know how people like to say, oh, I'm in an echo chamber. My Facebook page is a hardcore echo chamber. Okay. In that, in that if you voted for a particular person, you're gone. If you are of a political party, you're gone. My Facebook page is my happy, cheerful. It's for me. Mm -hmm. 
and I don't need it to not be an echo chamber. Yeah. And yet people will disagree on all kinds of stuff because just because you share a set of values doesn't mean that you agree on the path to getting where you're getting, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. I know a bunch of Americans who are like, I would love universal healthcare, but what that looks like could mean so many things. And, oh, this is a very non-political thing, but like, I don't love that back in the day, college athletes, they would be coming from poor homes. Their mom would be at home, not able to pay rent. They would play ball. The university would make a ton of money off their jerseys, off their name, off their likeness, and they would make zero dollars. Yeah, nothing. And if somebody paid their mom's rent because they're a fan or whatever, they'd, they'd, they'd be in trouble. Yeah. Because there's not perfect. They suddenly become professional or whatever, right? Like the amateur status. Yeah. And, and that, you know, I have so many friends who back in the day, we used to agree that's wrong, Mm -hmm. but none of us could agree on the solution. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, talking about all of these things, even with people who like you cut, you know, even if you don't want to argue with the person who's on the complete opposite side with you, even talking to people you agree with can lead to like change in thought for you. And, yeah. and expand your box. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and I think the people who have most of the money do not want us to do that. I, I am constantly that friend who bought me coffee <laughs> and, and food. Yeah. I will call her on a random Tuesday and be like, Did you put Roth money in your Roth IRA this month. <laughs> and she's like, shut up. You're so annoying. I'm like, no, we're going to talk about money today. And like, I want to talk about money all the time. And it's not just because I now have money. Yeah. It's because I would have never gotten to a place where I have money if other people weren't willing to talk to me about money when I didn't have any money. Yeah, I totally, I 100% agree with you. We cannot, we cannot be afraid to talk about money. There's nothing dirty about money. There's nothing. Money is an exchange of energy between, it's an agreement and there's bad shit that happens because of money. But it doesn't mean that money is bad. And what if us good folk or like the (laughs) kind folk, the people who believe in kindness and, and like helping one another, if we talked more about money, it would exchange hands in a different direction. I truly yeah. believe that if if we would all just start talking about it, it would have so much less power. Yes, agreed. We also, I mean, there's there's so much, there's so many ways to go with those kinds of conversations. Like we talk about, like I live in America, obviously, and we talk about solving political problems here or solving just human human humanity problems, right? Hunger and whatever. And um, and something I found out recently is people who think the way that I think on this side, this is left viewer for me. <laughs> um, we often get on a, on a high horse about our do- donations. We want to know it's going to the right place and doing the most that it can. And, um, and so even though we have money and we will donate it because we want to help people, we are very careful and irregular about our donations. Meanwhile, conservatives, they just lean hard into what they believe. They don't need perfection. Mm -hmm. They just need agreement Mm -hmm. on the issue. And so they'll, they are more likely to set up regular donations. Yeah. So they'll just set up an auto, auto donate 
$20 to whatever the thing is and $20 a month will automatically keep going to. So they are on the right, more likely to do, um, automatic donations, which ends up with them having more funding, even though they don't have more support. Meanwhile, charities on the left are less likely to have regular donations. Mm -hmm. And like, this is something nobody told me. And I am one of those people who would be like, well, I want to be careful about where I give my money. Mm -hmm. Now I'm like, man, I, maybe I should think about this differently. Like maybe I should just pick a couple places and even if they're imperfect, at least they'll be well-funded. Yeah. And and this is uh, not a conversation I think people want us to have, but it's just one more ask, like, it's just an example of what we're talking about is like, if we talked about this stuff, we could solve bigger problems. Yeah. Yeah. We'd have more solutions. Wow. Now, if anyone wants to talk to me about money, like, feel free. <laughs> Let's do it. Have you read, uh, oh, what's her name? Jen Sincero's You're a Badass at Making Money. Not yet. It's literally been on my shelf for years. It's you probably don't need to because you know all the things <laughs> that are in it already. Uh, but listener, if you have are trying to shift your mindset around money, that book is a great place to start. It's super entertaining, and it goes over all of like everything that we just talked about, like just taking the veil off and being like, "Hey, this is actually what it is." I always preach to my students and anyone who asks me that if you want to grow in this industry, you really have to build genuine relationships. It does not help to find a target, befriend the target, and wait till the target does what you want. (laughs) Sounds like a very bad military strategy. (laughs) (laughs) I, it's not something I pursued. But what I've been very good at, because I knew I did want to be, at some point, I did want to be an educator, is building genuine relationships with other educators. Mm -hmm. And I am lucky enough that someone said my name to JC Carey when I was switching to Nikon, because I switched away from a brand many, many, many years ago. Mm -hmm. And JC came to my house and was like, I'll help you relearn this system. And um, I don't even know who that person was. I'll never be able to thank them. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, JC came over. He worked for Nikon then. And he and others said my name in rooms I wasn't in to the right people who then eventually asked me to speak at a, uh, at Nikon theater at a conference. Uh, it was at WPPI and I spoke at Nikon theater and it must've went well. I did have a pretty big crowd and soon after they offered me ambassadorship and it has been one of the most epic experiences of my life for sure. I got to be in a commercial once. I flew to Tokyo to film it. Mm-hmm. I didn't bring a camera because I was the one on the other side of the camera. <laughs> um, it was it was a, that commercial experience was great, but just yeah. overall, like talking to engineers who actually care what what photographers want to do with their cameras. I got to do, which is wild. Yeah. And now I have the opportunity to speak other people's names in rooms they're not in. And I 
uh, <laughs> feel strongly that has worked to influence mm-hmm. kind of not not just at Nikon, but you know, all industry wide to bring people uh, up into the light that otherwise weren't seen as they should have been. Yeah. So life altering for me, yes. Like Nikon helped save my finances during COVID probably Hmm. um, by, by giving me work. Um, They were incredible. They were checking in on all of us to make sure we were good. If we needed anything on a personal level, I thought that was really nice. Um, Hmm, Interesting. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it has brought me a lot of educational opportunities. Um, it's been good, mm-hmm. but it absolutely was uh, an accident of time. Hmm. Yeah, it wasn't. Um, in my wildest dreams, when I became a photographer, I could not have imagined that would ever happen for me. Didn't even cross your mind. Didn't even cross my mind. Those people were those people. Yeah. You know? like, there were no women of color up there either. <laughs> Not a single one. Yeah, it was the first. Yeah. And I love that. Um, but I, you know, too late. But, and I, what I love is that I wasn't the last. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's been even with other camera companies, that's been a good catalyst to saying, yeah, we gotta, we gotta change things up. And, and I think, you know, I was having this conversation with myself in my head the other day because somebody, <laughs> I saw somebody on TV. Oh, this is Ruth. And apparently I sit like her. Sometimes. Ruth. Oh, behind you. I thought you meant the person in your head's name is Ruth. I'm like, oh, mine's no. name is Barbara. <laughs> <laughs> Hi Ruth. Um, the conversation I was having, I was watching something and, and an older gentleman got really puffy about inclusion. And he was just really mad. He was like, why do we always have to talk about diversity? Why do, why do we? Have and I find. That's why. Well, yeah, That's a, exactly why. <laughs> but B, I think that there's two camps. And if there's anyone outside of this camp, I'm opening to hearing your position. But in my view, there's two camps. There's the people who are like, oh, why, why does everything have to be about diversity? Like, and, and they see anyone who is outside of white male as a diversity hire mm. or a diversity pick. And in my view, those people must be assuming that you can't possibly be qualified yeah. unless you're in one category. On the other hand, where I live is, man, there are so many qualified people of such a variety of demographics who have just never been seen. And they might even be better than the people you have up there, but those were closer proximity to you. So you found them first. Yeah. But there are these exceptionally talented, qualified, great people you just haven't met them yet mm-hmm. and they're out there it's not like you have to grow them from scratch <laughs> they are out there and everyone i i feel strongly about encouraging people to expand their personal networks because 
I think that's kind of where the magic happens is when we grow our personal networks, we grow our business networks. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, same for companies, right? Like if they grow who they follow, if they grow who they hire, they're going to see a more diverse talent pool. You're going to find all those gems out there. Yeah. Agreed. Get outside your comfort zone. Yeah. Get outside your zone. And I just want to point out that I became an ambassador well before this became a very, very national conversation. What year? 2017 or 18. Mm-hmm. Still too late. I'm not saying it was early. Yeah, yeah. We're not, <laughs> I, we're not forgetting that it was 2017. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this happened. <laughs> um, but, you know, I've been accused of being a diversity hire. People Oof. are not quiet about that. Um, Do they know who they're talking to? What's your response when they say that? Um, people are subtle when they're talking to me directly. Yeah. Um, people are subtle when they're talking to me directly. And so I don't let it become a conversation because I, I used to think it was my job to educate every moron that came across my way. They think it is. Right. And now, uh, you are only worth my emotional bandwidth. If I sense that you have, uh, a door cracked open already. Yeah. And then, so if I, if I don't sense that you have the potential for listening, then I'm not going to waste my breath on you. Um, so I don't do that, but, uh, someone did go to a friend and say, ah, oh, Charmy was a great pick. She checks all those boxes. And he did respond. Um, you mean she's a great photographer and a great teacher and a great speaker. That is that what you were those boxes, you know, and here's the thing. I have no, I am not one of those people who's like, don't, don't talk about my other boxes. I absolutely think my brown woman boxes are checked. <laughs> and I think those have value because they have, they have a different life experience and a different gaze than other gazes. Mm-hmm. I think, especially in artistry, there's value in a variety of gazes and a variety of life experience behind the camera. Yeah. And so I certainly think those are two great boxes. I think everybody's boxes should count. Um, but to say that they're the only ones I have is inaccurate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But isn't that the plight of women and then even more even deeper is that plight for women of color that 100 percent. but i do think that there are times where some of us get to the mountaintop and we want to say don't talk about how i'm a woman oh okay yeah i see what you're saying and so i always want to be mindful that uh i did not I did not make it here by ignoring those things about myself or pretending they don't exist. Mm-hmm. Those are a big part of my identity and they remain a big part of my identity. And I'm, I'm good with that. You can talk about that and I won't be offended. It's mm-hmm. just not the sum total of who I am. Yeah. And, and yeah, because I think some people like 
and it's maybe a matter of the time where they reach there, but you know, there are going to be women CEOs who are like, what does my being a woman have to do with anything where if she talked, this is just like talking about money, right? Mm -hmm. He talked about the challenges she faced in boardrooms, getting to where she got, then more women would know more pathways and more language and the vocabulary we need to, you know, like we talk, I'm not ever in a boardroom, but now more women talk about how if you're in a boardroom with a lot of men and there's a woman who says something, you'll, there, there's times where like a, a man will say the same thing two minutes later and people will be like, you're so smart. That's a great idea. Yeah. And so the way that a way that women can support each other and even men can support women is by giving them credit and saying, you know, I really liked what X said and then repeating it. And it's not something I would have thought of, except that other women who had those successes shared that with women who aren't there yet. And so, yeah, I think it's just, just another one of those things that we all need to talk about. Thank you, Charmy. Thanks for having me. I loved this conversation. I could have, I could keep talking to you, <laughs> but I should probably let you go do some momming. I feel like you and I could talk for hours. <laughs> Hello. Hi. How was your day? This is not what my mommy really looks like. <laughs> what? Sorry. What did you just say? That she's more beautiful without makeup. Oh, this child. I love you. I love you. I love you. <laughs> no, you cannot have two dollars. <laughs> Can I have twenty? You need to ask for twenty, bud. Can I have twenty? Bud? No. <laughs> you can ask her for twenty dollars. See if she'll give it to you. No, can I have? I'll you. Chris Dollar. Chris. That was really cute. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a good one. Yeah. Or, he, Hopefully he won't have to do inner child work. Yeah. I think, I think also big, uh, he's returned for more. <laughs> okay. I love you. Go upstairs. Go play video games. When is that ever going to happen? No. <laughs> All right. I can only hope that you got as much out of that conversation as I did. Thank you to Charmy for sharing so honestly and authentically her experience, her view of the world. And I also hope that it inspired you to consider how you show up in your work. What are your truths? What are your values? And what are you hiding? So thank you to Charmy for sharing that wisdom and her thoughts. I will talk with you next week. You've been listening to the Tilt and Shift Photography Podcast. I hope these little exercises have tilted your framework and shifted the lens through which you see your business and even your life. Make sure you check the show notes for any product or service we talked about. And please feel free to send me a message regarding this episode, the coaching, the exercises. I will read every single email that you sent to me. And I encourage you to head over to bobbybeeducation.com. That's B-O-B-B-I-B education.com for even more opportunities to learn and to grow and be supported on your journey. Thank you for leaving a review. Thank you for being here. And thank you for showing up for yourself today. 
I'm Bobby Barberich, and this is the Tilt and Shift Photography Podcast. Edited by my confidant and comforter, Jay Hanley, with music by Audio Coffee. Like this right now? This is not what my mommy really looks like. But you will never catch me in a turtleneck. It was gross. I hate it. So, but you will never catch me in a turtleneck. And I didn't have a name for it, turtleneck, but I would describe it. And they'd be like, oh, me too, man. This is not what my mommy really looks like. Turtleneck. I was thinking to myself, I spent a week thinking of turtleneck and every single one is like some turtleneck. And so I thought that was normal. Yeah. And after I like got vocabulary around it, it's turtleneck, my therapist, turtleneck. That's not good. This is not what my mommy really looks like. Yeah. I think it's just, just another one of those things that we all need to talk about. This is not what my mommy really looks like.